In this series in 2 Kings chapter 18. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen. Verse, verse number one of chapter 18, the Bible says this. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Today, for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to this subject of breaking the mold how we can break the mold. Let's have a word of prayer together and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you and lift high your name. And Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, your Holy Spirit would have his way in our presence. Lord, I pray that it would not be about me, that it would not be about any person, but that it would be all about you and your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just lean into Scripture, recognizing that that is where the authority is. It's not about what we think or man's ideas or philosophies, but it is about the unchanging truth of God's word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would get anchored this morning to that. Lord, I pray that we would see even how this Old Testament redemptive narrative applies to our lives today and how we can break the mold for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning... Amen. My youngest daughter, Blakely, she is our most expressive child when it comes to her wardrobe. And uh, she's always kind of uh, wearing some interesting outfits, and we kind of let her dress herself. And I brought a few pictures this morning. Go to the first one. Uh, this is my daughter, Blakely, and uh, she's just always wearing an interesting outfit. She's wearing her gymnastics outfit over here with some fun socks. And, and uh, go to the next one. Uh, this is Blakely, and she's wearing this hat and just uh, all kinds of uh, different things <laughs> on this left side. And she's wearing some leggings and some socks and some Crocs over here. And uh, go to the next one. This one's my favorite. Uh, this was Blakely, not at Halloween. This was just a Monday morning. Okay. This is just how she wanted to dress that day. And uh, she is certainly our most expressive uh, child when it comes to her wardrobe. And she's certainly not afraid to stand out. Here's what I believe about the men and women that have been used of God greatly. The men and women that have been used of God greatly have a common denominator. And that common denominator is that they are willing to stand out for the sake of the gospel. Uh, that they're not going to blend into the culture around them and just kind of acquiesce to the mainstream society in which we live, but rather we're willing to break the mold to follow Jesus wherever he may lead. Uh, we live in a very interesting uh, society and culture where individualism is celebrated. Have you noticed this? Uh, where it's all about the individual. It's all about being unique and being different. 
But have you noticed in an attempt to be unique and different, everyone ends up being the exact same? And the Bible talks about how we should stand out and how we should break the mold. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 15, it says this, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, the children of God, without rebuke, in the midst. Everybody say, in the midst. He says, in the midst, right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, God has called us to live in the midst. Hey, I don't want to just move to a place where it's easy to be a Christian. That's what heaven is for. Uh, God has called us to be in the midst of a, a perverse and crooked nation. Why? So that we might, among whom, shine as lights in the world. Can I tell you, the darker the night, the brighter the light, and that God has called us to be in the world but not of the world and to shine the light of the gospel wherever he has planted us. And so, no, we cannot uh, blend in. We are called to break the mold and to stand out uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. But if we're honest today, is it okay if we're honest this morning at the 10 o'clock service? If we're honest today, that's something that is easy to understand intellectually, but difficult to apply practically. Because if we're honest, a lot of times it's much easier to go with the flow than it is to break the mold. It's a lot easier to just kind of acquiesce and to fall in line and to do what everybody else is doing than it is to stand up or to stand out. Uh, the other day I was eating at the Habit Burger. How many of you enjoy the Habit Burger? Anybody like that? And uh, it's not quite as good as In-N-Out, but it's, it's getting up there, okay? And uh, the Habit Burger is a great place. We went in there and uh, we were eating and uh, I, I ordered my food and I was waiting for my food and there was kind of a lot of people uh, in the restaurant and I was waiting for them to call my number. They finally called my number and I went and I got my burger and my burger was literally just uh, the bun and the meat and that's it. That's not what I ordered, but that's just what they gave me. It, just, it was just a piece of meat and a bun and that's it. And the bun was hard as a rock. It was like, it was like a hockey puck. You could throw it. And uh, it was just so hard and it was just a bun, uh, bun and a piece of meat. And I was, I was looking at the line. I just thought, man, I don't even know if I want to go and make this right. I'm going to have to wait a long time. Who knows how long it's going to be. And I was kind of tired. And so I just sat there and I ate that burger exactly how it was. Just that hard bun and, and that meat. And it was not satisfying satisfying. It was not fulfilling. Uh, but I just didn't have it in me to put up a fight. Uh, it was just easier just to sit there and eat it than to try to make, make a scene about it. Sometimes in our culture, it's easier to not put up a fight. Sometimes it's easier to suppress our beliefs and to suppress our values rather than uh, standing up and standing out for what we believe. Sometimes it's just easier to post what other people are posting. Sometimes it's just easier to say what other people are saying. Sometimes it's just easier to go with the flow. But can I tell you at the 10 o'clock service that God never asked his people to go with the flow, but he did ask his people to stand up and to stand out for the sake of the gospel, to break the mold. And if we're going to make a difference in the day in which we're living, if we're going to see revival in our midst, we've got to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and to break the mold in our lives. Now, we come to uh, this passage of scripture in 2 Kings 18, and I'm very excited about this. We're introduced to a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a king of Judah, and he is someone that embodied this idea of breaking the mold. Uh, he is someone that was not uh, afraid to stand up for what he believed and to stand out uh, in the culture in which we are living. Uh, I believe that Hezekiah is one of the most fascinating characters in all of Scripture. The only kings in all the Bible that have more written about them than Hezekiah are King David and King Solomon. Number three on the list is King Hezekiah. 
Why is it then that rarely does Hezekiah get a mention? Why is it then that we often don't know much about Hezekiah? In fact, take your Bible this morning and turn to Hezekiah chapter 1. All right, now if you're turning, you're going to be disappointed, Seth, because there is no book of Hezekiah. You, you were starting, Seth, but, but you caught yourself. I'm proud of you. And uh, there is no book of Hezekiah. I remember some, uh, someone did that to me when I was in elementary. My mind was blown. Like, wow, there is no uh, book of Hezekiah. Uh, why is it that this king that the Bible writes so much about and talks so much about, that rarely does he get a mention? When was the last time you asked someone who their favorite Bible character was, and they said, Hezekiah? Probably hasn't happened. This king... The Bible has so much to say about him. In fact, this king in this passage that we're going to study says that he was the greatest king that Judah ever had. The greatest king that Judah ever had, and yet we rarely talk about King Hezekiah. Why is it that he is often so overlooked? And when you start to study Hezekiah's life, you quickly realize that he had so much going against him. Uh, He didn't have a great upbringing. He didn't have great surroundings. Uh, A lot of things were going against him, but what he was willing to do was to break the mold. In fact, we we see it, just to give a little bit of context, we see it starting in verse number three. If you have your Bible, notice verse number three, it says this, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so this is a refreshing change of pace because if you study Old Testament history and you study the book of 2 Kings, you constantly hear this. They did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did that which was evil. They did that which was evil. He did that which was evil. She did that which was evil. And now here's a refreshing change of pace where Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In fact, so much so, look down at verse number five. It says this, uh, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Some 12 kings before him, some eight kings after him. There was none like him. He was unique. He was truly one of a kind. Why? He was willing to break the mold. Now today, as we start to dive into 2 Kings 18, what I want to do is I want to give us a few things to jot down. So I want to encourage you to get a pen ready and get some notes ready. I want to give us three ways that as followers of Jesus, we can break the mold and stand out for the cause of Christ. Three ways. Number one is this, if you're taking notes today, refuse to let your circumstances define you. You have to refuse to let your circumstances define you. Now, as we begin this text, we see that there were three things standing against Hezekiah. There were three things that were working against him right off the bat. I want to pick it up in verse number one. And the first thing that was standing against him, the first circumstance that was against him, was his actual country. Notice it in verse number one. Everybody with me today? Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And so what this verse does in verse number one is it gives us context as to the time period in which Hezekiah became king. This was a time when the nation of Israel was divided. I believe we have a map this morning that shows the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. This was a time where the nation was divided. Uh, The king of Israel in the north was Hosea. Hosea was a wicked, ungodly king. He did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did that which was evil. He made unholy Assyrian alliances. Uh, This was not a good king. And as a result, uh, just a short time after Hezekiah became king in the south, what happened was Assyria, go to the next slide, Assyria completely took over Israel. And so what that meant was when Hezekiah became king, uh, that he was now surrounded by the Assyrian army. And so this meant that Hezekiah, right when he became king, was in a very vulnerable position as a country. Not only was Judah uh, in shambles spiritually, 
but now they are vulnerable and they are susceptible to attack from all sides. And so you can imagine Hezekiah becoming king. They throw him the keys to the kingdom. They give him a crown and they say, good luck. The, the nation's in shambles. Things are a mess. Wickedness abounds. You're surrounded by enemy from all sides. This was not a favorable condition. This was not a favorable circumstance in which to be uh, reigning as king. And so right off the bat, we see that his country was against him. But the second thing that was against him was actually his father. Notice verse number one. It says this in verse number one. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, watch this, the son of, who is it? Ahaz. Ahaz. And so Hezekiah's father was a man named Ahaz. And what you need to know about Ahaz is he was the worst of the worst. He was a wicked, ungodly man that essentially turned Jerusalem into a pagan worship center. All kinds of idolatry, all kinds of wickedness was taking place under the reign of Ahaz. And just to give you a little bit of a snapshot as to the character of who Ahaz was, I want you to see how the Bible describes him in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 28. It says this, in 2 Chronicles 28, verse number 3, describing Ahaz, Hezekiah's father. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and watch this, and burnt his children in the fire. After the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. This reveals the character and the kind of man that Ahaz was that he, in some pagan ritual, sacrificed his own children in a form and guise of worship. Hezekiah had brothers and sisters that were slaughtered because of his own father. By the grace of God, Hezekiah escaped that, but, but Ahaz had no value for the sanctity of life. And I thought about that, and I thought about our country today, where often, tragically, abortion is celebrated. We have to recognize today that the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he knitted us and formed our inward parts. He told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you uh, and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Long before Jeremiah was even born, God had a plan for his life. God had a purpose for his life, and we must never become desensitized to the sanctity of life. Hezekiah had an evil, wicked father, and by the grace of God, Hezekiah was not slaughtered. He was not killed, and because of that, he became the greatest king that Judah ever experienced. See, God always has a purpose even when we can't see it. God always has a plan even when we can't see it. And so Hezekiah had this wicked father, and some might wonder, well, then how did Hezekiah turn out to be righteous? If he had such a godless upbringing and his father was so wicked, then how did he turn out righteous? Well, I believe there's a clue in verse number two. I want you to see it. Notice verse number two. It says this. 20 and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And so verse number two, we're introduced to Hezekiah's mother, Abi, which was short for Abijah. And her name literally meant this. My father is Jehovah. And so many believe the reason why Hezekiah turned out to be righteous is because he had a godly mother. Never underestimate the influence of a godly mother. Sometimes moms can be discouraged. Sometimes moms can think, man, look at all those people out there seemingly accomplishing so much, and I'm just here uh, stuck at home. But can I tell you that, that to be a mom is a high calling from God? And one of the greatest privileges that one has is to nurture and to raise up a child in the way that they should go and to transfer truth to next generation. And so Hezekiah had these things going against him. He had a father that was against him. He had a country that was in shambles. Uh, but not only that, his youth was against him. Did you notice verse number 25? Notice what it says. 
or excuse me, verse number two, it says 20 and five years old when he began to reign. And so Hezekiah was a relatively young man when he became king. He was 25 years old. Uh, the minimum age to be the president of the United States is 35. And so this might seem young to us that Hezekiah uh, was given the keys to the kingdom at 25. But I'm thankful that age is not a prerequisite to be used of God. I'm thankful that Abraham had Isaac when he was 100 years old. The Bible tells us that there was a king of Judah named Josiah, that he became king when he was eight years old. Can you imagine? Eight years old and becoming king? See, I believe in God's economy, it's not so much about your age, but it's about your heart of surrender and that God can use anyone he wants to use. And the Bible still says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example that God can use old people, that God can use young people, that God can use whoever he wants to accomplish his purpose. I'm so thankful that God gives unfailing power to unlikely people. So he was a young man. Uh, that was used of God. By the way, if we're going to make a difference in the generation in which we're living, if we're truly going to make an impact and we're going to see revival, then we've really got to start focusing on the middle schoolers. We've really got to start training the teenagers. We've really got to start caring about Rock Hill kids and raising up the next generation because the devil is attacking them in a unique way and they are fighting battles that we didn't have to fight. The world is changing so quickly, and it's our responsibility as parents and teachers and leaders to transfer the truth of God's word to the next generation. We can't just say, man, I hope they turn out. We have to be intentional uh, about what God has called us to do. Here is Hezekiah as a young man, and he uh, takes over the kingdom. And so we see right off the bat that he had three things working against him. The country uh, was working against him. His father was against him, and his youth was against him. So many things against him, but can I tell you some encouraging news today? God was for him. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? I'm so thankful today that even if we live in a time when so many things are contrary to God's word and so many people might be against us, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so even when the world stands against us, God is for us. And so Hezekiah was able to secure the victory. Hezekiah was able to move forward in faith in spite of everything that was against him because he refused to let his circumstances define him. Maybe you grew up in a not-Christian home. Maybe you grew up in an environment that was not Christian. Maybe you haven't had any training. Maybe you go to work in a godless environment and culture where nobody wants to hear about God. Maybe nobody prays at your workplace. Nobody talks about Jesus in your dorm room. Maybe your family doesn't want anything to do with the things of God. But those that break the mold are those that refuse to let their circumstances define them. We are called to be lights in a dark place. And here's Hezekiah. So many things against him, but he refused to let his circumstances define him. Uh, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two, if you're taking notes, is this. We have to remove the high places. Now you might think, well, what does that mean? Well, Hezekiah is going to remove the high places, and it starts in verse number three. I want you to see what it says. Verse number three, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. How many of you would say today, that's a good start, that Hezekiah was doing right in the sight of the Lord. Okay, this was a good thing. But I want you to know, he wasn't the only king to do right. There were a lot of kings that were doing evil. But if you read uh, all of the kings that came before Hezekiah, many of them also did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Many of them, they did that which was right. But there is one thing that makes Hezekiah unique. And it starts in verse number four. I want you to see it, verse number four. And he removed the high places. He removed the high places. 
Now, if you study the book of 2 Kings, all the chapters preceding verse, uh, chapter 18, what you will see is a repeated phrase over and over and over again. Uh, go to the next slide. Uh, 2 Kings 12, verse number 3, it says, uh, but the high places were not taken away. The, the high places were essentially an elevated platform of idol worship. Okay? And so what the kings would do is they would have this elevated platform and a bunch of different idols would come together in a syncretistic form of worship. They're going to sync all these different gods together and that these were the high places. And what you see time and time again is that the high places were not taken away. Howbeit the high places were not taken away. Uh, 15.4, say that the high places were not removed. Uh, 15.35, howbeit the high places were not removed. This is just a brief snapshot. Uh, I could give you five or six other examples where again and again, the high places were not removed. But when Hezekiah became king, the first thing that he did was tear down the high places. Why? Hezekiah was willing to do what others were unwilling to do. So many other kings did that, which is right in the sight of the Lord, but they removed not the high places. Can I tell you, uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, neither give place to the devil. Don't don't even give him a little bit. Uh, And so what Hezekiah did was, I'm going to do that, which is right in the sight of the Lord, but I'm going to remove the high places. I'm going to break these idols down. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, Hezekiah, he, he became king, and he was coming in hot, just breaking down things. He's breaking idols. He's tearing down images. Uh, Verse number four says that he tore down groves. Notice it in verse number four. He removed the high places, and he broke the images, and he cut down the groves. Uh, the word groves is in the Hebrew Asherah, and this was a reference to the Canaanite god of Asherah. This was the goddess of fertility. This was a goddess that promoted sexual uh, immorality and sexual fornication. And so what they would do is they would practice all kinds of sexual immorality under the guise of worship, saying this is a part of our worship, worshiping the goddess of Asherah. And so what Hezekiah did was he tore down these Asherah poles. He tore down these groves. Now, today in our culture, we might not have Asherah poles. We might not have groves. But we do have OnlyFans. We do have a culture that glorifies sexual gratification. We do live in a culture that is addicted to pornography. We do live in a culture that idolizes uh, sexual preference and sexual interest. And what we have to remember today is that the Bible clearly says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 3, for this is the will of God. How many of you today are interested in God's will? I want to know what God's will is. Anybody like that? All right, it says this, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. The word fornication is any sexual activity outside the confines of marriage. And so he's saying, run from that, abstain from that, flee from that. And so when Hezekiah becomes king, he says, I'm going to remove the high places. I'm going to tear down these things. I'm not going to dabble with something that God has called me to destroy. I'm not going to play games with the enemy. And so he's coming in hot. He's breaking things. He's tearing things down. And uh, why? He was ushering in a spirit of revival. So many people today, don't miss this, so many people today are interested in revival So many people want revival, but what they don't want is removal. I want revival. I want to see God work in my life. But are you interested in removing the things that God would want you to remove? Because often a prerequisite for revival is removal. That you've got to be willing to tear down some things. You've got to be willing to get rid of some bad attitudes. You've got to be willing to uh, sever uh, some uh, poor relationships. You've got to be willing to get rid of some things in order to experience revival. And so this is what Hezekiah does. He comes in. He's removing the high places. He's breaking some things down. There's some things in, in my life that I need to remove. But then it gets really specific in verse number four. Everybody say with me. Verse four. He removed the high places and break the images. He cut down the groves. And then it says this, and he break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. 
For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it, he named it Nehushtan. And so Hezekiah was willing to do what other people were unwilling to do. He was also willing to say what other people were unwilling to say. He called it Nehushtan, and we'll, we'll circle back to that. But here, uh, what is referenced is this uh, snake uh, that Moses had erected back in the book of Numbers. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I'm not a big snake guy, okay? And uh, if you're really into snakes, God bless you, but that's just not my cup of tea. And uh, uh, in fact, I read this week that 51% of Americans have a fear of snakes. How many of you would resonate with that this morning? Okay. Uh, I, I'm not a big snake person. Uh, the other day, I saw a video of this, these, people, these people in their home, and uh, they heard something in their ceiling. And what was in their ceiling was this giant snake. How many of you would say, if that happened to me, I'm moving out of the house, I'm moving out of the neighborhood, I'm moving out of the country, I'm just getting out of there, right? And, uh, and so, not a big snake guy, but what is referenced here in 2 Kings 18 is the snake that Moses erected back in the book of Numbers. How many of you remember the story when there was a plague of snakes that was plaguing Israel? And what they were instructed to do, God instructed Moses to put up a snake, this, this brass serpent. And whoever looked at that snake, having faith in God, if they looked at that snake, they were healed of their disease. Anybody remember the story that was taking place? Well, this is what's being referenced in 2 Kings, this, the, this uh, brass snake. Jesus referenced this brass snake. You say, what does this matter? And uh, what's the point of that story in the Old Testament? Well, Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus, must be lifted up. What was he talking about? Being lifted up on the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so that snake was a picture of salvation. This snake was significant for the history of Israel. And so what they did uh, back in the book of Numbers is, is they looked at that snake and there was healing. And so what they did was they saved it. They kept that snake as a memorial. By the time you get to 2 Kings 18, 700 years have passed. And they kept that snake as a reminder, as a memorial of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Now, keeping the snake was not wrong. Keeping that brass serpent was not wrong as a memorial. Sometimes it's good to construct a memorial so that you can remind yourself of God's faithfulness. The problem was not that they kept the snake. The problem is, verse number 4 says, they started to burn incense to it. The problem was they were now looking at the snake and not reminding themselves of God's faithfulness, they were looking at the snake and worshiping it. And so they turned this into an idol, and when Hezekiah becomes king, he comes in and he breaks that snake in pieces. Now, this would have stepped on some toes for sure. Uh, this would have uh, ruffled some feathers for sure, because the people would have thought, uh, how could you do this? How could you do this, Hezekiah? Uh, this snake has rich history. Uh, this, this is uh, historical. This is a part of our heritage, and this costs a lot of money. How could you do this? And Hezekiah said, break it, because he recognized that he could not. He had the discernment to recognize that this was becoming idolatrous, and he wasn't going to dabble with this when God knew and God instructed him to destroy it. And so he says, I'm not going to play games with this idol. See, what uh, Judah was doing is they took a blessing back from Numbers. They took this blessing, and they turned it into an idol in worship. Be very careful in your life that you don't take a gift and turn it into a God. Be very careful that you don't take a gift that God gives you, a job, and idolize that job, where that's the most important thing in your life. Be careful that you don't take a gift, a salary, and turn it into a God where it becomes an idol in your life. Be very careful that you don't take a child 
a gift from God and idolize that child where nothing else matters but that child's happiness. And I'm, that's the only thing that is important to me. Be very careful that you don't take a good thing and make it a God thing. And in so doing, it becomes a bad thing. And here is Judah. They were looking at this brass serpent. They were idolizing this brass serpent. And Hezekiah comes in and he breaks it down into pieces. And then he called it Nehushtan. He named it. He, he said, this is Nehushtan. And, and that word's interesting. The word Nehushtan means this, a little brass thing. Hezekiah says, you are idolizing and worshiping something that's just a little piece of brass. It's just a worthless piece of scrap metal, and yet you are idolizing this. This has no value in it whatsoever. And so he named it, and then he smashed it. He destroyed it. Why? He was removing the high places. He was getting rid of these things to usher in a spirit of revival. And all of us today, I believe, need to take a look within and ask the question, what in my life needs to be broken down? What in my life needs to be destroyed? You know, the Bible talks about this in Colossians, to put off the old man, uh, to, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Uh, to mortify means to put to death. It means that we're not just going to tiptoe and play games with sin and play games with temptation, that we're going to take drastic measures to make sure that we can walk in victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Hezekiah does is he tears down, he breaks down the high places. And this leads us to our last thought today. Number three is this, if you're taking notes. We have to rely on God's strength and not our own. Now, you might be wondering this morning, man, I don't know if I have it in me to break down some habits in my life, to break down some temptations and man, I've been struggling with anxiety or I've been struggling with addiction or I've been struggling with my anger. and I've tried to get victory. I've tried to tear down some things. I've tried to break down those walls, but it just seems like they keep on coming back. And I don't know if I have it in me. And perhaps today you need to rely on God's strength and not your own. Perhaps you've been trying in your flesh and you've been trying uh, your best with your strength, but today uh, God is reminding you that his strength is available, <laughs> that his power is available. That his spirit within you wants to do a work in your life. Can I encourage you with 2 Corinthians 10.4 that says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If there is an addiction in your life. If there is a stronghold in your life. You need to know that there is nothing that is too hard for our God. It might be too big for you. But it's not too big for our God. It might be too heavy for you to carry, but it's not too heavy for God to carry. He, he is mighty through God, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In verse number five, it gives the key characteristic of Hezekiah's life. This is really what Hezekiah was all about. It's what he's remembered for. Verse five. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Very simple. You want to know what Hezekiah is remembered for? Trust. There's a contrast here between verse 4 and 5. Verse number 4, they trusted in the brass serpent. They trusted in a worthless piece of brass. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord. He, he was relying on God's strength and not on his own strength. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that was before him. His life was dominated by trust. I love what the name Hezekiah means. The name Hezekiah means this, the one whom the Lord helps. I don't know about you, but I want to be one whom the Lord helps. <laughs> I want to be one like the psalmist that says, I know where my help comes from. Uh, my help comes from the Lord, the maker and the heaven of earth. Uh, this life can be difficult to try to do on my own. But God's help is available. God's strength is available. This is something that Hezekiah knew. And he trusted in the Lord. Notice verse number six. He trusted 
In verse number six, it says this, for he clave to the Lord. He clave like, like glue. He, he grasped onto the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord, watch this, verse number seven, and the Lord was with him. Now, is that a surprise? It shouldn't be. God's presence often is predictable. Verse number five says he trusted the Lord. Verse number six says he claved to the Lord. And so it's no surprise when you get to verse seven, the Lord is with him. See, the Bible says in the New Testament that if you draw nigh to the Lord, he will draw nigh to you. <laughs> His presence is predictable. If you want to feel close to God, start seeking him. Those that seek me early shall find me, Jesus said. And so draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And now Hezekiah is encountering and experiencing the presence of God because he trusted in him. And maybe today you're here and you've been trusting in the wrong thing. Maybe you've had some faith, but... Who is the object of your faith? What, what is your trust in? The Bible says in Psalms, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in governments, uh, some trust in themselves. Uh, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And so maybe you're here today, you've never placed your faith and your full trust in our king, Jesus. Hezekiah was a temporary king in Judah. He had a faith in the one true God. But our king today is eternal, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you place your trust, if you place your faith in him, the Bible promises life eternal. The Bible says this in John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son. Who is the Son? Jesus. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And so the question today is, who will you trust? Now, Hezekiah could have thought that, man, so many things were going against him. He could have felt inadequate. He could have felt insufficient. He could have felt like, man, I don't have an enemy. I'm not qualified. I read an interesting story this week. There was a surgeon in Germany. He got in big trouble. He got fired because he was performing a toe amputation. And he was performing a toe amputation, but he didn't have the right nurses and doctors available. And so he was trying to do it on his own, but the patient got a little bit restless. And so he literally just grabbed the hospital janitor in the hallway, brought him in to help him perform the surgery. He didn't know what he was doing. He said, here, come in here and help me. And uh, some people saw that and thought, that's not good. They reported him, and he ended up getting fired from the hospital. Can, can you imagine being that janitor that just got pulled into that surgery? Hold this, cut this, help here. You would have felt like, man, I'm not, I'm not trained to do that. I'm not qualified to do this. A lot of times we think, man, I can't take that next step because I'm not qualified to move forward. I, I don't know if I have it in me. But can I tell you and encourage you today that God does not call the qualified he qualifies the called. <laughs> and with God's calling, always comes God's enabling. And so if God calls you to it, if God calls you to break the mold, he will give you the strength and the power to break the mold. We don't have to be overwhelmed and think, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. This seems a little far-fetched. This seems a little out there. No, his strength within you can perform that which you cannot do on your own. In fact, Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, 21, make you perfect, complete in every good work to do his will, working in you. Everybody say, in you. Uh, he wants to work in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we have to recognize today, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's not about my strength. It's all about his strength. It's not about my authority. It's all about his authority. It's not about my qualifications. It's all about who he is. And we recognize how big our God is. We can break the mold. We can move forward by faith, trusting that he is in control. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together this morning.